Today's sponsor is FreshBooks, which makes cloud accounting software that's ridiculously easy to use. FreshBooks has completely transformed how 5 million small business owners deal with their day-to-day paperwork. They do everything from invoices to expenses to time tracking. You can get a 30-day free trial and start saving time and money at freshbooks.com slash Peter. Today's show is also brought to you by Videoblocks, a stock media company with clips everyone can afford. If you're making a video project, you need to check these guys out. With a Videoblock subscription, you get a ton of great stock clips, but you don't have to pay any royalties. After you download the clips, you keep them and use them forever. Get your yearly subscription for only $99 at videoblocks.com slash recode. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. It's powered by Digital Media. I'm here with Skip Bayless from Fox Sports 1. Skip, it's 9.30 on Los Angeles time. You've been up since when? 2 a.m. L.A. time, but I don't want to acknowledge that publicly because my watch is still on East Coast time. So in my head, it was 5 a.m., which is when I always got up for the previous show that I did on ESPN for the previous 12 years. I was always up at 5 a.m., and so I just think in my head, they're up. I better be up. So you basically don't sleep at this point. I try uh, Sunday, Monday nights are the rough ones because we got the late games, but I'm, I'm on the same schedule I was for all those years at ESPN. I get four hours, four and a half if I'm lucky on those two nights. I caught up a little bit with six hours last night. Maybe, a luxurious six hours yeah. of sleep. You look good. I don't know about that, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. Thanks for making time. What, what, I didn't get to hear the show. didn't get to see the show this morning. What was, you, what was the topic You actually du missed jour? a pretty good one. We have two and a half hours of topics du jour. So yep. we, we had a, a lot of hot topics. One concerned Tim Tebow, which uh, is always a hot topic on our show, whether he is a selfish self-promoter. That was hot. Tim, just <laughs> remind me, Tim Tebow is no longer playing football. He's playing baseball right, right. now. Right, hasn't been he's for a couple years. talking he's... about football on, at least college football, on ESPN. But he's still catting it for you guys. He is uh, for the world, I think, right? The media has gathered in droves down at Port St. Lucie, Florida, to check him out at the Mets instructional camp. So uh, he will play minor league baseball all summer long, and I'm sure we will discuss how he continues to look from night to night to night. But we also had a topic that was dear to our hearts. There are those on our show, especially my debate partner, Shannon Sharp, not a big Tom Brady fan, and he believes that Brady's legacy has been diminished by the stand-in quarterbacks playing so sensationally well, Jimmy Garoppolo now, Matt yep. Castle back in 2008 when they went 11-5, and as you recall, and uh, they missed the playoffs, but Matt Castle had a very good year. So we went back and forth heatedly about that one so i saw your twitter feed you're pro brady and then on, on the tim tebow shameless self-promoter uh scale you're on which side of that i'm anti that i he is nothing like that and i know tim well enough to make that statement he's 1000 percent authentic and does he have a big ego yeah every franchise quarterback every hall of famer i've ever met had a huge ego tim has that but is he selfish selfish player is the guy who wrecks his team because he wants to be the star. He wants to be catered to, and, and he wants to have the ball in his hands every play. Tim Tebow wants nothing but to win by any way possible. And as I said before his draft that year, if you take him late in the first round and you allow him to run the offense he ran at Florida in college football, 
He won't make a Pro Bowl, but he can win games in the National Football League. So let's let's which pull, is exactly what he did. Let's pull back for people who aren't steeped in sports media. You're here in Los Angeles working for Fox instead of ESPN because you came over here recently. It's a big deal in the sports media world. You've been at ESPN for ever twelve basically. years, twelve years mm-hmm. full time. Why did you come to Fox Sports, which even still uh, has, has a substantially lower profile than ESPN. You were a star at ESPN. What got you to Los Angeles? By the way, that profile is changing quickly, yeah, just we'll talk for the about record. That. Yes. The main reason I came here was for Jamie Horowitz, whom you have spoken with. He yep. runs Fox Sports 1. Former ESPN executive. He was the former showrunner on an interim basis of my show called First Take back in, when was it, 2011? It was the, the Tebow breakthrough year, ironically. I had my career breakthrough with Jamie Horowitz being given the reins to what was called First Take, but was still a show called Cold Pizza, which had originated in New York City back in 04. And I had been called by the previous sort of CEO or president of ESPN named Mark Shapiro. Are you aware of Mark? And Mark had said, I've got a signature show that we have started in New York City which is a variety, a morning variety show. It was a, live, it was a live morning talk show that, it, that no one watched. It was loosely based on sports. It didn't really have a strong sports component. And he said, we've got to, quote unquote, sports it up. So he said, you've done a lot of work for us at ESPN, part-time work, hit and miss work here and there. And I had, I'd been on a number of different shows, sports reporters, a show called Prime Monday, Prelude to Monday Night Football. Mark was a big fan of mine, and he said, please come to New York and try to help save my show that might not be salvageable at this point. And so I closed my eyes, and I plunged, and because we added the debate component to Cold Pizza, it wasn't my presence, it was its presence that it started to tick up. The idea yes. of having a debate about Four times a in the two hours, four times for eight, ten minutes, we debate sports topics. And my debate partner was Woody Page then, and he was more of the morning sort of court jester, if you will. He, he didn't love debate, but we, we still got into it pretty heavily, and the audience started to gravitate to that. And we started to rate, and we started to make money. And Mark left and went about his way, and then three years in, because of a big regime change at ESPN, finally they said, let's pull all the plugs on all of Mark Shapiro's New York City shows— Boom, boom, boom. Stephen A. Smith's, quite frankly, the ESPN classic show that Josh Elliott was doing, Howie Schwab stumped the Schwab. Let's pull all those plugs, but we we better not pull that cold pizza plug. It's making money. Let's move it to Bristol, Connecticut. So they changed the name to First Take, but the format was still cold pizza. It was pet segments and cooking segments and loosely based on sports segments with the debate every sort of half hour we do our 10 minute debates four times in the show and when i would see the cum ratings for our show in those days they would go da 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 boom spike da 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 da, boom spike four spikes a show when jamie horowitz took over he looked at the one year cum ratings and he said let's do more of the what are we doing like what and, and the ratings gurus would come in who didn't watch our show, and they'd say, whatever you folks are doing every 20 minutes, you better check your show logs, you know, your rundowns. Did, did you do a, an interview there or a pet segment why, there? What? Why is this? N- I've listened to sports talk radio for decades. It's based around debate. Talk radio is based around debate. It's a really old and, and, and time-tested format. Why was this news at ESPN, and why is it even still a controversial discussion to talk about whether or not there should be more or less debate on TV? In sports TV. 
you've listened to sports radio, but I was part of the initial debate on ESPN, which started on the sports reporters on Sunday mornings. Dick Shap, may he yeah. rest in peace, close friend of mine. And I started in 1989 doing that in bits and pieces. And then we took our segments from there. It was Michael Wilbon and Mitch Album and I, and we started doing roundtable debates on this Prime Monday show every Monday night during football season before Monday night football. And the point was, we were live, and we would get into it, and that was a little uncomfortable for ESPN because it's hard to control where that debate might go. Sports radio, no real boundaries. And, so it's something and it's, that's easier to pull off on radio than it is on TV. It's more conversational on radio, and the segments are 12 minutes long. And if you're a prisoner in your car driving, which you usually are when you're listening to sports radio, yep. you're probably not going to turn it off because you're thinking about the light changed yellow, and, and you're looking at the scenery, and you'll just kind of go in one ear and out the other. And they're just talking back and forth. Sometimes they debate, but it's not specific. It's not... And it can ramble. It, it rambles, and you're okay with it because you're like just going to stay there yep. with that, right? But on television, it has to be a specific yes or no, up or down question, right or left, pro or con, and you have to deliver a quick thesis statement. And, and again, it's hard to watch two talking heads for very long, so it better be hot, and it better be focused, and it better be compelling. And we started to be, I thought, compelling enough that ESPN got more and more comfortable with okay, we can let that happen to this point, but we don't want a whole show of debate. Jamie Horowitz walked in, and in two weeks, he had the guts and the vision to say, what are you guys doing? I'm going to blow out cold pizza remnants in the show. We are going to go wall to wall, two hours of debate. I'm going to build it around Skip, because I was the one constant he had left there. And we're going to have a rotation of come one, come all, take on Skip debaters analysts, ex-players, maybe some journalists, and that's what we did for a whole football season. I can't tell you how many people stopped me in the hallway at ESPN and said, good luck with this, but you guys are going to fall hard on your faces, and Jamie Horowitz is going to take a big career hit here, and he put his career on the line for me and for that format, and within three months, we doubled our ratings. Within a year, we tripled, and then as we continued on for five, six years, we quadrupled our rating. And we were, I think, the biggest success story at ESPN, so given you, our format. So you become a star. You make a ton of money there. You're at ESPN, which, even though it's challenged now, is by far the dominant sports network. It's still really the major sports network. Quick point of order, I did not make a ton of money at ESPN, but go ahead. I bet you were not poorly paid. By what I was giving them, I was poorly paid. I, I was the... <laughs> The most underpaid on-air talent at ESPN for 12 years. That's my opinion. Not in, in the end they came around, but it, that went on for a long time. But go ahead. So Jamie Horowitz goes to leaves ESPN, mm -hmm. goes to NBC for a cup of coffee. They kick him out the door. He, he comes here. Um, he comes to you and says, "Come join my my network that has almost no one watching it. Um, I'll pay you a bunch, reportedly 5.5 mm -hmm. million dollars." seems like ESPN would pay you about the same if they wanted to keep you, or I'm sure they did want to keep you. In the so, end, they, they went beyond their call of duty. They offered a lot, and they offered Stephen A. Smith and I a segment on Monday Night Football Halftime, which would have been huge for us. So they would have given dream you more mine. promotion, at least the same amount of money, on the, the sports leader. Why go to a network that no one is watching? You just said more promotion. 
I would disagree with that. Uh-huh. I don't think we would have gotten any more promotion. We would have gotten the visibility of the Monday okay. night football stage, which would have been significant. Pretty big. But Jamie went out on the limb for me. I was ready to go out on the limb for him at the network, quote unquote, nobody was watching. I also, early in my career, I worked here in Los Angeles for the LA Times, and I loved it here. I felt home here. I had a chance at 26 years of age to be the lead columnist at the Dallas Morning News, and I took it because I wanted to be a columnist, and the sports editor at the LA Times said, you're too young, you need 10 more years of experience before you can have a clue about the perspective required to write a daily sports column. And I said, watch this. And I went to Dallas and we did okay. But the point is that I missed LA as soon as I left it. And I said, if I ever get that opportunity, I'm going to go back. And if you know me and you see my career choices that I made at every fork in the road, I always took the harder fork. And this was the much harder fork. My wife was asking me the same question you're asking me for about a year because I knew this was possible and I still had a year left on my deal. Why would you walk away from the number one show on the worldwide leader you have it made? And I said, because of what you just said, I have it made. I don't want to have it made. And she then, when I finally took the job, she bought me a great card which says on the front, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. My comfort zone is over, and I have gone into a very uncomfortable zone here on our launch. But I am very happy here because I'm reunited not just with Jamie, but he brought all of his lieutenants, the five smartest people I've ever worked with in media, newspapers, radio, or television, are all here. So you know what happens when you usually take a job? You go out to dinner with the CEO or the president. Which you did, right? Once, once, well, barely. I mean, I met Eric Shanks, but but Jamie runs FS1. Right. So, but my point is, usually somebody comes to hire you and you say, well, I don't really know these people, but I went to dinner with them twice and they seem like really good people. Really? Can you take that to the bank? Are they going to be really good people a month down the road, two months, six months? I know Jamie. I've been to battle with Jamie and all of his lieutenants. I saw them under fire. I saw what they would do and what they wouldn't do when the controversy was bearing down on us because we faced a lot of controversial incidents while we were on first take together. And he stood his ground and he fought for me the way no one's ever fought for me. So I did owe him this, but it was also a thank you God opportunity that I could go back to L.A., and work at a Fox, and I remind you this, I did work here quite a bit through the early 2000s when it was Fox Sports Net. Stephen A. Smith and I did shows together with Jim Rome. I did the best damn sports show. I was an, often a, a guest host on that frequently. Every time I walked in this building, and it was this building, I felt comfortable here. I never felt comfortable in Bristol, Connecticut. I just, it, it wasn't really me. I wasn't made for, for them, even though... I did well there, and I. It, it's like winning in spite of. I won in spite of when, at ESPN. When you, when you announced you were coming here, you said, well, well, now that I'm coming to Fox, I can do things I couldn't Correct. do at ESPN. The, the, the shackles are off. There's billboards mm-hmm. around town with you coming out of sure. a birdcage or holding a birdcage, and it's open. <laughs> it seems like you're doing the same thing you were doing in, in Bristol, like the same format, same kind of discussion. What is it that you can do at Fox that you couldn't do at ESPN? We're not owned by Walt Disney. Again, that's Mickey and Goofy, and this is The Simpsons and Family Guy, and it's just, it's different here. 
the boundaries, the out of bounds are the same here, but we can go deeper. So give me an here. example of something you can push that you couldn't push at Disney. We got into a race topic today and I went really deep on the incident in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I would have been very skittish on ESPN, especially over the last couple of years because we were on probation so often. I was like this the whole time and it was fine. I, I loved my time at ES. Don't underestimate how much I loved it because I did. I did not love living in Bristol with my wife working in New York City. That was a hard arrangement to sort of It's a two and a half off. hour commute. Yeah. You got it. If that's with good on a good day. Yeah. So on the race topic, on ESPN, I would have talked to our ombudsman on our show, Chuck Salaturo, who's a close friend of mine. He's a dear friend and a, and a very smart man. But, but he would take me in the hall after the morning meeting and say, you know... Think about this now. Do you really want to go here? Or, you know, think about, do you, and it wasn't that he was telling me, don't say this. He would just say, think about what the out of bounds are here and don't step over them because the people who run ESPN to a fault pay way too much attention to what I think are insignificant bloggers making irrelevant statements about what happens on ESPN. Nothing, it just doesn't matter to us. It, we were the worldwide leader. You think they're a more conservative company, lowercase c, yeah. than, than Rupert Murdoch, who's actually politically conservative, but, but more of a sure, buccaneer. Sure, sure. I mean, but it is, it's Walt Disney, and I got reminded of that often, and I, I embraced it. I said, you know what? You're right. So today on the race topic, the incident in Tulsa, I plunged on it, and I'm talking to two black men, Ray Lewis, Shannon Sharp, And I said, I need some help here. I don't want to try this case in the court of public opinion, but let's walk through what did Terrence Crutcher do that he shouldn't have done or that he should have done. And we walked through it, and I went to a place that a lot of people would say was pretty controversial. Okay, when he gets to the car, I can't tell if the window is down or up because it's not clear on the yeah. video, but they're trying to contend that they were afraid he was going to reach right. into his car. This is just me, and I don't know much about police work, but I'm okay with the taser at that point. Right. I'm okay with that. That's fine with me. If you listen I, to the helicopter pilot, they're yeah. saying they think she tased him. Okay, right. that's okay with me because yes. there, there could be some threat at that point, yes. especially if he's a little out of it. Right. Yeah. But she shot him. What is that about? I, don't, I have no idea. I'm dumbfounded. And then what really offended me, I'm, I'm just a white guy, but right. I'm just saying what I saw right. is from a human standpoint— mm -hmm. Then they just leave this man on the ground for like two minutes and they back away from right. him. And they just, he's writhing or whatever. He, yeah. he, he died at the hospital, I guess. But I don't know. Don't you try to see if CPR he's or something? Certain I, I don't know. I don't get it. I was completely comfortable because I'm very comfortable talking about race topics because I was just disqualifying myself. I'm not a black guy. You know, I, I don't know how you feel. I don't walk in your shoes. I'm just a white guy. But we went to some really deeper places there that I would have been a little little hesitant on ESPN. And over the last two or three years, you don't know how many times on live national TV, I would do that split-second psyche decision of, should I or... Nah. Just let that and, go. And you, like you said, you've been called out by bloggers, press critics, Richard Deitch, Whatever. Sports I, Illustrated. I, I read none you. of it. I don't even know who you're talking so, about. Some, so sometimes I don't know. the players have called you out, right? Richard Sherman called you and out. And they are welcome to come on the show anytime. And speaking of Richard Sherman, that was a landmark turning point incident for our show because that was early in the Jamie regime. And just to give you a quick point of order, I know this we're not doing sports talk here, but We were doing an afternoon show at that point, auditioning for a permanent afternoon show on ESPN 1, on big ESPN. We were obviously on E2. 
So we were going to continue doing our two-hour morning show from 10 to 12 Eastern time, but just to audition for six straight weeks, we would come back in the afternoon and do a half-hour show from, it, it bounced, but let's say 3 to 3.30 on E1. And we were successfully executing that show, and we were two days from finish. This was Thursday before the final show on Friday. My partner, Stephen A., was over the moon about the prospect of having an afternoon show on E1. Maybe we would reduce the time on E2 in the morning. And Richard Sherman's people contacted us in the offseason. He wasn't yet Richard Sherman. They were a team on the rise right. and on the verge, but he hadn't sort of... He hadn't broken out. No, and, and he hadn't sort of seized the national consciousness just yet. But he had taken on Tom Brady on the field after a big upset win up in Seattle over New England, and he had called out Darrell Revis on Twitter, and Revis had made the mistake of responding to someone who wasn't on his level yet, and he had done the same thing to Roddy White on Twitter. So I should have thought maybe he's going to try to do the same thing on our stage, which was considered the biggest stage in sports media. But I didn't think that because his people said to my producer, hey, Richard's tired of the controversy. He'd like to talk a little off-season football. So we're only on for a half hour. I said, fine, let's talk to him about the Seahawks versus the 49ers. Could the Seahawks break through in the division this year? Fine. So we start the show and. The producer says in my ear, he's not ready yet. Can you vamp? And so we did a quick discussion that lasted for two minutes about how close is Richard Sherman to becoming the best cornerback in pro football? And uh -huh. of course, I said, well, he's, he's not Darrell Revis yet. And I added the yet to it, but, but I was adamant about, please stop it. And then we went to break while he, we could see him in the monitor getting mic'd up. And you know the rest of the story. As soon as our moderator asked him a football question, he ignored her question as we opened our B block, and he personally attacked me because I, I'm pretty sure it was premeditated on Richard's part. So you think part. that's premeditated, and, 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 and in your mind, do you think that's something he means, or that's he wants to, to make a splash, and he's making a statement to make a statement? I don't know Richard, so I can't speak for him, but it was clearly premeditated because he came right at me, and yet, here's the irony of this discussion, I love that. So you love that. The, the, I, I would love to fight fire with fire, but my handcuffs were on because we were one day from concluding our audition. But, but okay? the, no, the notion of, of having a premeditated sort of take and wanting to make a splash, this is something that people say about talk radio, general sports talk, about you in general. That, Not that, about that, me, That is though. an argument for an argument's yeah. sake. Nope. There's always an open never, question about whether you actually show. believe what you're saying or whether you just want to have a counterpoint. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. In my 12 years on ESPN and my going on three weeks here on Fox Sports 1, I have never, ever contrived one debate. Anybody who's ever known me or been to our morning meetings will know when I walk in the door at 4 a.m. L.A. time, as I did this morning, my opinions are in concrete. You're not and I will not about this. This is, this is a show, but you believe it. You believe what you're saying. I believe it with all my heart and soul to a fault. I am as stubborn as they come. They all laugh at me, but heck with all of them because it's who I am and what I believe. I win the debates, I always say, at night. I've done all my prep. I've gotten all my ammo in a row on each of the debates that we might do. We're not sure until 4 a.m. because we're ready for anything that might have broken or we have different ways to go. But generally, I know 80% when I go to sleep for my four hours that we're going to do maybe two-thirds of what I have on my sheets. And I start 
with the six o'clock ESPN Sports Center making notes and and basically they they rely on me to produce the show. I'm going to bring the topics. I'll call them into the producer late at night and he'll put them up on the board. And then today we kind of rejiggered everything at four o'clock. But my point is my opinions don't ever change when I walk in. Now, if there's breaking news and Shannon Sharp and I agree on, on our take on it, we'll just do it. And we can't disagree on everything because it's not human. Right. And so, Because occasionally Shannon's going to agree with you, right? Absolutely. You, but here was the beauty of my relationship with Stephen A. and something that I'm starting to develop chemistry-wise with Shannon. If we do agree, and I do go first, and I say boom, boom, boom to open the show, one of those booms, if he will listen carefully and trust himself, might cause him to say, I agree with you in the big picture, but did you just say that X is Y. Yeah, I said X is Y. What's the two? You know, like it's yeah. going to go like that. And maybe we take a hard left turn out of a basic agreement into a disagreement. Case in point, it was our second show. I, I'm not an Andrew Luck fan. And I think the world continues to give Andrew Luck a pass. And I dug in before he was drafted that he's a turnover waiting to happen. And he's turned into an NFL turnover machine. But all I ever hear is... Andrew Locke, first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. And I say, what are you seeing? What are your eyes telling you? Because I can show you the numbers. His first and third year, he was second in the NFL in total turnovers. That, that won't work. And the other day, his coach finally criticized him because he had two late turnovers so you come out Denver. with that, and the point is okay. Shannon, Shannon yeah. eventually and, agrees and, with you? And he came around, and it shocked me because I thought in the meeting, I thought he was going to disagree. And I came so hard at him to open the topic that he said, you know what? You're right. Now you so got then we, now okay, you got a problem. Okay, but here's what happened. So we continue to discuss, and I have no idea. I'd have to go back and watch the tape how we got here, but we got back to me saying, I would have stuck with Peyton Manning. If I'm Jim Irsay in, in Indianapolis, I've got Peyton Manning. Remember, he had his neck issues, and yet his doctors kept telling the Colts front office, he's going to be fine. But the Colts doctor said, eh, we're not going to trust it. We think he's washed up. He'll never rebound from his neck surgery. So they said, we got a chance to draft Andrew Locke, first ballot Hall of Famer. We're going to do that, and we're going to push Peyton Manning out the back door. And what did he do when he went to Denver? And I'm, again, I'm not being a hypocrite. This is in 2020 hindsight. I said then, this is a big mistake to push Peyton Manning out the back door. Because he goes to Denver, he should have won two straight MVPs, and then he finally wins, as you know, this past Super Bowl. So he would have given Indianapolis a much better chance to win Super Bowls for the next three years than Andrew Luck. So when I said that, he's like, what? So now you've got an argument. All of a sudden, and it was 1,000% And are you authentic. are you consciously saying we've got to find something no, where we can have no. traction here? Because if he's just like nodding, that. if he's nodding at me for the next 10 minutes, we've got a problem with this segment. Okay, but I just keep plunging and pushing, and I find do have, I, I'm mostly prepped at night to go to level 2, 3, and 4 to win the debate. If I have to reach for this, I'll reach for this, this, and this. And I'm also prepared, if he goes first, to scrap everything I have on my page, all my notes, I will scrap them if he says something that is ludicrous to me. And then I will trust myself and my recall to go way over there and battle him on that front. This is great. I'm getting education on how to do radio. I'm going to take notes. We're going to go to a TV. commercial first. Yes. Uh, and, and, and TV, TV as well. Yes. But I'm not going to do TV. <laughs> just audio. We'll be right back in a minute. Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks, which makes super simple cloud accounting software. 
FreshBooks is helping more than 5 million small businesses conquer their paperwork in less time with way less stress. It only takes 30 seconds to create and send a polished professional-looking invoice. And customers who accept online payments with FreshBooks get paid an average of three days faster. FreshBooks can even show you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice you've mailed. It's kind of like having superpowers. They track your expenses, your cash flow, and the time you're spending on each project. FreshBooks is offering a free month to all Recode Media listeners right now. To claim your offer, go to freshbooks.com slash Peter into Recode Media in the part where they ask you where you heard about us. That's freshbooks.com slash Peter to start your 30-day free trial. Thank you, FreshBooks. Today's show is also brought to you by Videoblocks, a stock media company that everyone can afford. With a Videoblocks subscription, you get unlimited daily downloads from a library of 115,000 HD video clips. You get After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and cinemagraphs. I would like someone to tell me what a cinemagraph is. On average, subscribers pay less than a dollar per download over the course of a year. It's the same content you find on more expensive sites, but it's less expensive. Videoblocks is always adding new content to the library, so it stays fresh. As a subscriber, you get everything 100% royalty-free. That means even if you cancel your subscription, you pay zero royalties, you keep what you download forever. Videoblocks is offering my listeners a one-year subscription for $99. That's 50 bucks less than the usual price tag. It's only for my listeners. Get your yearly subscription today for only $99 at videoblocks.com slash recode. I'm back here with Skip Bayless of Fox Sports 1. He's drinking Diet Mountain Dew live on air. It's awesome. Breakfast of champions, right? Uh, yeah, you were just explaining how to do, I, I said, how to do radio. You said, no, no, we're doing TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there's a through line between sports talk radio what you're doing and the internet. It seems to me that a lot of the, there's a commonality in that a lot of these things that are successful are designed for argument. You said you don't really pay attention to the internet. I don't. You, you don't read the bloggers. But a lot of what's happening on the internet around sports is a version of what you're doing on air. It's a debate about a topic. It happens very quickly. In a world where there's a million different places to get mm-hmm. controversy, to get sports content, and where anyone can create content and weigh in on this stuff through Twitter whatever platform they want how do you figure out all right i'm going to break through the noise because it only gets noisier every day i think it's a great question and i don't have a great answer because i don't pay enough attention to what you're asking me about that is the question and i'm actually proud of the fact i don't think about it because to me i can only do what i do and what i've been doing for a long long time and i can tell you this when we bring in people ex-players, occasionally a journalist, maybe a coach, and they say, this is cake. You know, just put me on there. I'll, I'll, I'll beat you guys into the dirt here. It's not that easy to do on television. It's a much faster medium where to hold people's attention, you have to bring passion and emotion and back up. You have to be able to reinforce your argument quickly and powerfully and clearly on television in, in ways that you can get away without doing on radio to me. And it's such a visual medium that I just spill over with passion. So you, you, I don't know how to bottle that. I can't teach it. I can't coach it. I can't create it. It's just who I am. And so I'm going to go in there every day. I am relentless. I wear people out that I debate against. I wore out Stephen A. a lot of days, and he'd say, would you just please calm down and back off? Because segment after segment after hour after hour, I'm, that's, that's all I pride myself on is I'm going to bring it as hard as I can bring it. And remember, I am trying to win every debate. 
There's no tricking them up. There's no contriving them. I just want to win. So I'm competing with Shannon, and he's asking me about, man, because I work out hard because it's you need to be in really good shape to do this for two and a half hours. So that's a big component in, in this that to, to stay fresh and to endure. You, yeah, you're you talking need, about physically working out. I'm talking about a journal profile. You, no, no, I'm talking about biceps popping. Oh, well, thank you're, you. You're talking mentally. Uh, both, but but the physical aids the mental. Yeah. And you, but you need to physically be able to stand up. Like right now, I just finished show, and not to gross you out, get too graphic, but I got a T-shirt on underneath, and it's soaking wet, and it's soaked down all the way to the top of my underwear. Because it's work. Because I'm so. I'm so focused. I'm fighting so hard. We had a couple of, I told you, we had this Tom Brady battle to start off with, and we had a Tim Tebow battle, and we had a couple in between that I'm forgetting about, Floyd Mayweather battle. I am fighting for my life because you can get exposed and humiliated like that. So on stipulate TV. that what you're doing is hard and that not everyone can do it. Very few people can do it, but everyone's trying it and, every, and it gets louder okay. and louder and more cacophonous. Mm-hmm. You're on Twitter, you've got 2 million followers. Mm-hmm. I noticed you're not following anyone. <laughs> So um, I, I always say I'm a leader, not a follower. <laughs> so, so your thought is I'm, I'm just not going to pay attention to the noise. I'm going to do what I'm doing, and mm-hmm. that's my answer. As hard as I can do it day after day, and I'm going to try to be relentlessly great at it. I, I know I don't live up to that, but I'm going to give it that kind of, it sounds cliched, but it's, it's, it's like crazed dedication. And I, anybody who knows me will tell you I am a psycho about this, but I think I'm a good psycho. I think I'm like a good-hearted psycho, but I'm crazy. And I'm the first to tell you I'm crazy. I live for this. I'm obsessed with it. Because it's live TV, because you're working so hard, because you're sweating down to your underwear, mm-hmm. you must screw up, right? You must say sure. things you regret, and especially because mm-hmm. you're pushing, right? I don't ever remember saying anything that I regretted. I screw up where I forget something like, I should have said that. But as far as crossing the line, how did I say that? I wish I I'm didn't say that. You, d- that. you don't want to take nope. anything back. I've never had any. I'm knocking on some kind of wood here if I can find it. Formica. I've not had. Yes, I'll knock on Formica. Thank you very much. I have never regretted anything I've said on live TV or live radio. But I have regretted that I forgot to say that. Or I shouldn't have let him get away with that. Or it's such an imperfect medium because it's going so fast. And we have people in our ears saying got to wrap you know like like not that they're going to stop us cold because we got two and a half hours but we had doug baldwin today from the seattle seahawks it was our first guest that we've had on tv so he's mic'd up ready to go and we were involved in what was an escalating liftoff floyd mayweather jr debate and i was not finished but it's the imperfection of live tv where the producer chris says in my ear man we've got to go and he was apologetic about it but but I had to just say, you know, okay, I give up. You know, like, we'll, we'll finish this later. So you're doing live TV now, but you mentioned you started off, one of the things you did earlier in L.A., you were doing newspaper reporting. Yeah. You had one, at your beginning of your career, you had a conventional sports reporting job. Did you mm-hmm. see this path ahead of you, or did, was it sort of step by step, and one thing led to another and it, through happenstance, or did you plot this out? No plot. Didn't see it. Uh, I never saw becoming a writer uh, neither of my parents finished high school. I grew up in Oklahoma City. There's no writing background, journalism your, background. Your brother is family. Rick Bayless, the, he is. the awesome Chicago chef. But but he's more predictable because my father owned a little hole-in-the-wall barbecue restaurant on the other side, sort of the quote-unquote wrong side of town. 
and we were not wealthy people. Heats would sort of come and go with the, uh, as the restaurant business rises and falls as it does. I don't recommend it to anyone, but my brother started at age three or four going with my father early in the morning to cook. And so he got the cooking bug, and he had the cooking so you gene. So you could see that path. Yeah, it, it was predictable, but you couldn't see my path until I, I was wanted to play sports, and I was pretty good at sports. And then, not to bore you with this, but just to tell you how this got launched, my sophomore year of high school, fatefully, sort of a thank you, God, I take an advanced English course at a public high school, the only course that of the day that was taught by the journalism teacher who, who had four other hours, five other hours of journalism, but she taught one advanced English course, sophomores. First day of school, she assigns a book report. She said, I want it to be one page. You choose a book. Don't care what it is. I want to see if you can write. I'd never tried to write my life except my name. And I, of course, chose a sports biography of an old New York Giants quarterback named Y.A. Tittle. And I didn't write a book report. I wrote a critique of it. I don't know what prompted it. It just spilled out. Friday, as class as the bell rang, she said, Skip Bayless, I want to see you after class. And she was a scary, intimidating teacher. And my friends looked at me like, what did you do? And I walked up and she said, you are coming into journalism. I said, no, I'm not. I don't have any interest. And she said, you're going to write my sports column. I said, I don't write. She said, yes, you do. You have the gift of write. You can do this. You're going to do this. I said, I play. She said, you can play and you can write. That launched me on this path. And how I got into TV, because I always thought of myself as a writer. You, and you did straight reporting, and then you became a columnist. But right away, I was writing columns for her about the teams my senior year. I, I wrote a column blasting the baseball coach for whom I was playing. <laughs> you ever heard of anything like that? And he later told a friend of mine that if he ever saw me again, he was going to, quote-unquote, kill me. So that was the first taste of what I'm made of, what I'm all about. But along the way, along the trail, my mom, who... I, I have no idea what possessed her. She, she's told me it was because her mom did this. She made me take speech lessons, as in uh, public speaking lessons, from this woman in like in the back room of her house. And I would have to go every Wednesday and memorize like some silly poem and give it to her like I was giving it. And then we'd have a big recital. You'd have to give it to all the parents. You'd do an oration or a poem. It was great for me because... I'm, I'm actually a little shy by nature, but if you put me in front of a microphone or a camera or an, a, a yeah, big audience, I'll go. And it came from my mom. She, she had that sort of dynamo gene in her, so thank you, Mom, for that. But I had it, and so as radio came into vogue in sort of the middle of my newspaper career— People said, you got to do a radio show. So I started doing a Dallas radio show, and then along the way I did it in Chicago, and I did it in the Bay Area— and then TV came into vogue for a while early in my career. The newspaper guys laughed at the TV idiots, you know, the, the boobs, you know, the, the talking the, heads you know, the talking heads and the funny suits. And, and all of a sudden, I became one of those guys. Because they found out, uh, now there's a tradition, now there's a path where you, you want to get out of newspapers because that's a sure. dying industry dying anyway. Industry. And of course, radio and TV, one pays better mm -hmm. often. It looks a lot easier than having to go and type up a story and do the interview. And it seems like sitting in a booth and talking seems much easier. Could you do what you're doing now as well as you do it now had you not been a, a traditional reporter early no. in your career? Why? Taught me to think, to think through a story, to, to see it and feel it. And the ability to write is crucial 
to my arguments because in the morning before the show, I'll take each topic and I'll jot notes. Now, again, I'm not going to refer to the notes, but I'm flash memorizing the way you would cram for a college midterm. I'm doing it every morning. I'm writing my thoughts down, but I'm writing them in clear, clean, hopefully entertaining sentences with a pen. And I take them out and in the break, I skim my notes. Yeah, 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 I got this, I got this. And I can see my notes in my mind's eye as we go. And then hopefully, if he goes over there, I can remember that down at the bottom of my page, I went over here. And you can on live TV if you have a stat, but you can't quite remember, was it 823 or 833? You can glance quickly at that if you need to throw it back in his face, which I would often do. But so the exercise of being a reporter, figuring sure. out what a story is, how mm-hmm. to do that editing, that, that has direct application on what you're doing now. Because again, I think a lot of people think, oh, I can just go straight from Oklahoma to national TV, or I can blog, and there's really no gap. You don't need that Th- experience. Think of the education I got. I covered, to start off with, I was in L.A. covering Chuck Knox's L.A. Rams when they were back, they're back now to L.A., but I covered the Rams when they were the L.A. Rams. Then I went to Dallas and I sat at the knee of Tom Landry, the great and powerful Tom Landry. And then I went to Chicago, and I covered Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson. And then I went to the Bay Area and got to know the great Bill Walsh and covered uh, the 49ers, and I got to know closely the great Al Davis. You don't think I learned a lot of football along the trail as a reporter and a columnist that I can now bring to bear on a daily basis? I can recall... Bill Walsh told me this once upon a time, and Tom Landry always believed that this led to that. So, When, when you were in Dallas, you wrote multiple books about, about the Cowboys, right? One of them, you talked about the fact that Troy Aikman, the quarterback, his teammates and coaches were mm-hmm. s- saying or discussing rumors that he was gay. This is now an ongoing controversy. Troy Aikman's still upset with you. You now work at the network that Troy Aikman works at. Have you guys talked? Have you read that book? No, I've read the summary of the book. Okay. If you will read that book, I will talk to you on the air about it. Sure. Okay? I know I read, I read Brian Curtis's piece, which is good. Um, you, you should read the book, and then we'll have this discussion, because I've been dumbfounded by the reactions to it from the start. It's been as misinterpreted a book as ever has been written. So my only question is, are you gonna talk, have you talked to Troy Aikman, and what, what's going to happen when you see him? I'll talk to you about it if you'll read the book. I'll tell you everything. All right, so we'll, okay? we'll table that. Deal. We'll come back. The Brian Curtis piece, it's in uh, The oh, Ringer. Yeah. So what's, what's, do you think Brian got that right? Because it seemed to me that was a he pretty was thorough... Right track. Yeah, okay. So generally, that's... I trust he Brian Curtis. He read the book when it came out in 95. He was recalling it. I don't right. think he had refreshed himself, but... But you think he's mostly there? He was going the right, down the right path. So we'll leave, it, we'll leave that mm-hmm. there. You're going to th- go through football this mm-hmm. year. Um, what, what do you imagine the biggest storyline is going to be this fall? I'm hoping it's my Dallas Cowboys, but I was born and raised a Dallas Cowboy fan, not born because they weren't born until 1960 and I was nine, but I grew up in that tradition and they're a big part of our show because people love or hate that team in the ways they love and hate no other team in existence. Everybody has an opinion about the Cowboys. They now have a growing controversy at quarterback because Tony Romo's out but might come back fairly quickly. And You that, like his replacement? I like his replacement a lot. How could you not? And football is what you're most animated about? Animated no, about? No. No, I wouldn't say that. Um, it's a tie between football and NBA. 
I came up, I, I sort of grew up in the NBA because of my Dallas days. They got a team just as I arrived in Dallas, the Mavericks. They were born in 1980. I got there in 79. So I, I'm steeped in the NBA, and I'm very passionate about it. And I love it equally with the NFL. I used to love baseball. I grew up a huge baseball fan. I'm sure a lot of people did, sort of my generation. But the point was that over time, America has fallen out of love with baseball. So we don't do as much baseball as we used to. So you, America can fall out of love with the sport. It's falling out of love with baseball. Boxing used to be a big mainstream sport, isn't anymore. Although we're hot with Floyd Mayweather. That's always a hot topic Back. for us. There's an ongoing discussion about health risk in football, and it waxes and wanes depending on sort of what happens on the field, what's happening off the field. Can you imagine America sort of moving away from football? I cannot. No, you think we're here, we're, we're locked we're here. in, regardless of the damage to the players and what we know about what's going on, we're, we're willing to accept that. I'm certainly sympathetic to all of the above. I have a whole lot of friends who played pro football, who I keep in touch with, who are not in the media business, and they all have various knees and shoulders and... Some of them have head. Most of them are okay in that regard. And where I don't have sympathy is that no one held a gun to their head to play football. Maybe now because they've been better educated, some are choosing, I'm out. But they could choose it before college to say, I'm out. They could be a gifted high school player who says, I just don't want to risk it in college football. As you well know, much fame and fortune is down the road if you're willing to risk your body, and especially your head, to play pro football. And if you choose to take that risk, then I lose sympathy for you because it's a great sport. It's a lot of fun. It can be incredibly dangerous, as we all know, and that's part of the fascination, our fascination, with the sport of football. So I accept it for what it is. I think they've done the best that they can to clean it up and make it as safe as possible. But in the end, you have incredibly gifted 250 to 300 pound men 350 pound men running headlong at faster and faster speeds right, they get bigger they get faster they and the injuries can get worse but the helmets have gotten a whole lot better and yet if you're going to play it's not if you get hurt it's going to be right. when and how so badly there's, there's the issue for the players and the mm -hmm. question is like as a sport, as a, as a commercial mm -hmm. operation are advertisers and ultimately viewers going to be comfortable with that and you think yes this is something we want to watch, and we're going to keep watching it. It's like the Yahoo poll that was taken the other day about the Colin Kaepernick fallout and protest. I was pro-Kaepernick, but I think there were 1,200 respondents to the poll, and 44% said, if the protests continue, we will stop watching the National Football League. And that was the one part of that poll that I said, <laughs> stop it. No, you won't. You'll say you will now, but they could protest every anthem, Every game, you'll still watch pro football. I'm sorry. This is great. Thanks for your time. I Thank hope, you. I hope you enjoyed talking. I, I know I enjoyed listening. If you guys want to listen to more of this stuff, it's easy to find. You go to Recode Decode, you go to iTunes, Spotify, Google. Easy to get this stuff. You have a podcast, right? Your morning show I gets turned into... I do not have a podcast. No, no, you guys... No, I'm, I'm going to get one now because you have... Your, your guy here is nodding. I can, I, can find, I can find your show turned into a podcast daily. Our show is a podcast, yeah. yes. And you're going to start Undisputed doing Undisputed is a podcast in and of itself, and I tweet it out every afternoon. I'm probably delinquent in doing that as we speak. Go, go get on your yeah, Twitter. You got it. Thanks, Skip. All right, Appreciate thank it. You.